From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Here we go. Five o'clock hours to Cofield. JBT is the company broadcasting from the Finley Toyota Studios. Busy day. A bunch going on with the Saudi backed golf league trying to wreck the PGA with all that blood money. Uh, we've got more feedback from Raiders camp, mandatory mini camp. Who showed up? Who didn't? Derek Carr spoke today and uh, said, I don't like to see people lose jobs, but another major league baseball manager has been fired. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. It was Joe Madden on the heels of the Phillies getting rid of Joe Girardi. You know, we had Dave Koken on yesterday and we uh, ran the uh, 11 game losing streak by him. And uh, really, without being prompted, he started talking about Joe Madden. Joe Madden's bullpen usage comes back to haunt him once again. He hadn't thrown Iglesias in nine days, which is ridiculous. And he was not sharp at all. And he gave up the grand slam to Harper. And then the next guy came in and he gave up the uh, free run walk off to Stott. You know, I think this is the last year of his contract anyway. Maybe it's time for the Angels to just make the change right now. My God. Crystal ball by Koken. Joe Madden. Nostra Davis. Yeah. Nostra Koken. Uh, Joe Madden loses. Uh, the Angels lose their 12th straight game. And uh, John's L.A. team. Well, I was going to say it's without a manager. But in, in baseball, they don't. You know, it's not the Golden Knights. They're not going to let it go for. Well, Golden Knights aren't playing right now. But uh, there's going to be a mystery. <laughs> Phil Nevin. Yeah. Phil Nevin takes over. Will this be a Robbie Thompson-like effect for the Angels? The third base coach coming in and take over. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I just noticed the hat you're wearing, too, by the way. Um, is that an Angels hat? No. Oh, no. Okay. It looked like an A. Um, it's, a uh, it's a Yankee spring training hat, Okay. Which I, was a, I wasn't wearing it early in the season, but now that the Yankees are out to a 39-15 and 15 start, I can't wear enough Yankee stuff. There was a balmy nature to it, so I figured it was Southern California-esque. Um, no, like, look, in baseball, managers have effects on games. I invoked when I was talking about this with Matt Humans earlier today on VEASAN, like a Gabe Kapler type. I think Gabe Kapler did a really good job last year, pushed all the right buttons, and I think he was a big reason why the Giants were able to win one-run games and do all that sort of stuff. And I do think that, and Dave brings up a point in the clip, you know, if you watch that series against the Phillies, specifically that last game that they lost when they were up 5 up and then again 6-2, his Madden's bullpen management screwed them in that game. But in the grand scheme of this 12-game losing streak, was it Madden's fault that Syndergaard goes to, to your Yankees, Steve, and gets beat up to like, in like the first inning? No, Oof. it's not Madden's fault. That was rough. That was rough. It was. Yeah. You know what? That game, by the way, I was really excited to sit down and watch it because I just like Angels-Yankees series for some reason. Um, and I sit down, and Isabel's sitting next to me. I'm watching it on the couch, and she looks over. She's like, oh, already, huh? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> And she knew how excited I was to watch it. And we're like, just, <laughs> just ruined, just ruined but, early on. But like at the end of the day, long story short, everything that went wrong for the Angels and has gone wrong for the Angels during this 12-game losing streak is not all on Joe Madden. And so does he deserve to be fired? Sure. But are they all of a sudden going to become a playoff team? I don't think so. Yeah, I still think with the Angels, their issue forever has just been the depth on the pitching staff. They just still right. have not stockpiled enough pitchers. And that goes for starters and relievers. They're just not deep enough. And the, the shame of it is they, they have all the money in the world. They see what the great baseball organizations do. Most good baseball organizations can, I mean, well, I don't know what the number is in the end that you need, but you probably need to go at least 25 deep in your organization with pitchers. Well, and that's why 
and you know we don't really care about the Major League Baseball draft because it's so long and arduous. This last draft, the Angels and Paramanassian, they they spent every single one of their picks on a pitcher, every single one, and so they're trying to build up the farm system and go that route. But at the same time, to your point, Steve, it's like like I guess you get scared off after burning money on Josh Hamil- uh, Josh Hamilton, C.J. Wilson, and Albert Pujols, right? But like at some point you got to kind of get over your own mistakes of the past and try to do something here because you keep trying to buy cheap. You spend $20 million in one year on Matt Harvey. That didn't work out. You go $20 million in one year on Noah Syndergaard. That hasn't really worked out. You try Jose Quintana. You try to put Band-Aids in your bullpen. It hasn't worked out, and you know you have squandered years from Mike Trout and Shohei Otani to the point where the rumblings have already started months ago that Otani might not be the happiest there. He thought he wanted to go over and win championships, you know? And that's what's that guy going to get on the open market? Like, he can go wherever he wants, pick a team, and choose to be a title contender. So you're in the dangerous territory right now. Number four. Oh, the ratings. Uh, let's feed the red meat to the NBA haters, John. Let's feed that red meat to them. Ratings for game one, not very good. I'm shocked. We've got what? Boston, traditional power city, uh, can be villains at times, the ultimate villains and Dr. Dre, Draymond Green, and Steph Curry, and the Warriors. What's going on here? Okay, so this is what I don't really get. I'm going to be completely honest with you as somebody in sports media, okay? Yeah, I yeah. am never afraid, Steve, to admit when, and I think I've come very forward with this, to admit when I don't know something or admit when I am wrong and all those sort of things, right? So I will say that I have never understood how TV ratings work. Never. I have never understood because we get a link. We get a, um, and I think you can spin them any way you want. We get a uh, article from Ari in which the headline says, NBA ratings lowest in 15 years. I send you an article that says NBA ratings up 37% from last year. (laughs) (laughs) And and like, obviously both things can be true. And if you look and I was going back, if you look at the ratings from, you know, about 15 years ago or so, I mean, the difference is just that they were getting a lot of people to watch their product. It's been crazy. And then you see a dip since the pandemic year, and maybe that has something to do with it. Um, you know, they're still getting like, what was it? 11 for this one, 11 million or whatever it was. Um, but I just love this. We do this all the time. And can I just say really quick, I'm going to take a tiny shot. Are you ready for this? Because during this postseason, all I have heard, um, and for some reason, cause I cover the NBA, I guess I have to defend it. Um, is how much better the NHL playoffs have been than the NBA playoffs. And I actually think there's some truth to that. I've watched some really good hockey games. Some of these blowouts have been pretty uh, true. At the same time, ESPN tweets out the uh, the numbers for their uh, their hockey viewership as this big win. Okay, <laughs> you keep pounding your chest about how much better hockey is. Call me when you can get five million people to watch your sport. Number three, you're not going to try to sell this to me. That the Golden State Celtic series the rest of the way could be known. As the Draymond Green series? If they win, yes. This could totally be the Green oh series. Oh, my God. If they win, totally it, it's the Draymond Green series. Totally. Lordy. So, I mean, think just think about, like, the, look at the way that this has gone so far, okay? So, after game one, they lose. They blow that fourth quarter. And Draymond comes out totally cocky, and he's just, like, you know, doing math, looking at the script. You look at that Marcus Smart, Derek White, Al Horford. What is it, like 15 and 23? Yeah, we'll be fine, right? He's just completely nonchalant about it. 
first possession of game two, comes out, ties up Al Horford. He's insane. He, he gets a jump ball. They go on. They have a great defensive performance. His defensive assignment switches to guarding Jalen Brown. Brown scores underneath 20 points. They go on to win that game. They're incredible on defense, right? And now he's coming out. He's taking shots at Grant Williams. He's being very vocal about things. We know how Draymond is at this point. If they go on to win this series, and they are incredible defensively, this is going to go down as Green's series. That this is going like that first one that they won. That was about small ball and Andre Iguodala. The other two that they won, that was about Kevin Durant being the best team that's ever constructed. In this series, if they come out and they win and they're incredible on defense, it is. I don't know if it'll win Finals MVP. I don't think that's going to be the case. But it will go down forever as Draymond Green's series. I'm telling you that right now. So when Steph Curry averages 34 points a game at a thousand years old, wins another title, it'll be the Draymond Green series. Yep. It'll, <laughs> it'll bother you for forever. Oh, my God. Wait, how about seventh most important player on the roster, crime on the other seventh most important player on the roster, Draymond Green on Grant Williams? This is the trash talk we get from Mr. Freaking Triple Single? Okay, so first off, he's not the seventh most important player. <laughs> I know Draymond. he's not, but, uh, but it's like, I'm going to make this <laughs> personal. You're not me. You can't go out there and play good defense and average six, four, and three. Could I, I say um, I actually kind of liked this trash talk from Draymond to Grant Williams? Yeah. Mainly yeah, yeah. because, like, if you see some of the footage of, like, like during these stoppages and stuff, Grant Williams is, like, there was one where he's trying to, like, body up Andrew Wiggins before the ball was even handed to Jason Tatum, and Wiggins literally just, like, forearm shoves him and, like, throws him, like, a half foot. Or, like, he's trying to get up in, like, the ear and face of, I think it was Draymond when he's guarding him, too, and Draymond's just like, get the hell off of me. And, but shouldn't, you know, he but shouldn't, a guy like, shouldn't a guy like Draymond – admire what grant williams does in terms of being a pain in the ass or if you're i mean i mean maybe deep down he does but when you're playing in the nba finals you want to get into his head what are you going to do you're going to piss him off <laughs> so you're, you're not crap him. now you're... i will say yeah. kind of along these lines and it is kind of important from a basketball perspective you know as you move forward in the series like game three it's going to be really important for draymond how this is called you know one of the other comparisons that are being made they are the legion of boom right seattle would hold and pull and scrap on every single play Right, they would just dare the officials to call holding and pass interference every single time down the field. And of course, you're not going to do that. If you watch Game Two, he got away with a lot. You know, there was a foul on Grant Williams where he goes through his backside, and Williams is called for a foul. There was a three where he screens two guys like an offensive lineman pulling down, and he doesn't get called for a foul. So if all of a sudden down the stretch of this game, like at the beginning of this game, where those physical plays become fouls, and he's got two real quick, that game changes. So I, I am curious to see how Game Three is called because that's really important yeah. for Draymond. I think former NBA referee who, you know, serves in that uh, ref expert role, him, uh, Steve Javi, him saying that you officiate certain guys differently, that that is not good for the referees the rest of the series. Because people are going to be watching this with a, a microscope to see how much Draymond gets away with. And Draymond's also, we, we know how things change, man. The emotion when you start, when you go on the road, let's see how he's officiated in Boston. Uh, it's a very yep. fine line he's going to be walking here. Man, does Scott Foster get a series soon? Let's go. Or a game of the series? Let's, let's do it. Let's go. Tom, Tom Brady, let's go. Number two. Top two stories on Cofield and Company. John Von Tobel is here. It's Steve Cofield. So this story in the New York Times is uh, potentially a game changer. And the story is Deshaun Watson. More details on just how many massages he got, uh, why there's been uh, additional suits filed. A couple of the uh, paragraphs from this story by Jenny uh, Ventress 
Um, Watson had said that he hired 60 different therapists across his five seasons in Houston. Uh, the Times reporting that he actually booked with at least 66 different women in just the 17 months from the fall of 2019 to the spring of 2021. Um, I think the most damning thing is that apparently the Texans, as it says here, provided the venue Watson used for some of his appointment appointments and a team rep furnished him with a non-disclosure agreement after a woman who is now suing him threatened online to expose his behavior. That was early on. The Texans got wind of this and did nothing. And they did more than nothing. They actually tried to help him. Here you go. Here's the paperwork for NDAs. Anytime you get a massage from a woman in one of these appointments, have her fill this out. I mean, this is a freaking nightmare for Raj. You're gonna I, what, you're gonna you're gonna hammer the player, but not go after the McNair led Texans when I don't know if Cal approved it or not. I mean, knowing what we've seen so far from Cal, I'm sure he was like, Yeah, let's do it. We want to save our star quarterback. This is his idea. Terrible. Right? Matt, that, yep. that would be that. Imagine, imagine if you had that, right? <laughs> Team representative. Hey, 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 Dr- I almost called him Draymond. Hey, Deshaun, this is the NDA that I wrote up for both of the McNairs. Yeah, I've made copies. Um, right. Can you imagine if it came this on like Texans letter? Texans letterhead? You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like a Texans yep. logo at the top and everything like that. Like, hey, yeah, yep. sign this, please. No, but you're right. And like, look, I, I, I think clearly to use the cliche where there is smoke, there is fire. Like, there is, mm-hmm. like, it's kind of gross at this point right now. Um, but at the same time, and I am no lawyer, this would be a question for Justin. I would assume if you can get a physical copy of said NDA, like that would be something close to a smoking gun that the Texans have been involved in something like this. And I think you're absolutely right where, and this is where the NFL puts themselves in. Like if this is true and the Texans helped him out and clearly had no like care in any way whatsoever about their community and what he was doing in in terms of terrorizing some of these women. I mean, it's all clear. Ah, It's about football. Well, if you want to protect the shield, like you talked about, then you better come down hard if it's been proven that this team helped him out on top of what you're going to do for him. Number one. Mandatory minicamp. Mandatory. OTAs have been going on for a couple of weeks. Raiders have had high numbers in attendance. Today was day one of three days of mandatory minicamp. Now, not everyone was on the field, but Josh McDaniels confirmed that everyone who's supposed to be there was there. So a lot of good topics to get into. But, you know, we, the media, never really got an answer from anyone else. Actually, I'm not. this isn't even anyone else. We never really got a comment from anyone in the Raiders organization on that Colin Kaepernick workout a couple of weeks ago. So one Adam Hill opened the floodgates. And believe me, they weren't floodgates. It was a couple of answers. But uh, he asked Eric Carr, hey, what would you think of Kaepernick coming in for a workout a couple of weeks ago? You know, I've known Colin you know, since our days, you know, playing in the, the WAC conference, which is no longer a thing. Uh, my gray hairs may start to, you know, make a point for that. But, um, you know, I, I remember our days back then and, you know, just watching him and what he did in college and getting to know him and talking to him on the phone and things like that. I told you guys, I've loved my time with him. I think he's a you know, great guy. He's been great to be around. Um, I've enjoyed being around him, talking with him, uh, competing against him. Uh-oh, I think he's a great guy. Oh, no. Could we have some trouble here? Keep going, Derek. Josh told me they were doing it and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, I 
I literally said the same thing I'm telling you. I was like, I've enjoyed my time around him. I love him. I got him and I would get along great. You know, my brother knew him a little bit from San Francisco. He's like, I love Colin. He's been, you know, he's awesome. I think Colin would just have to answer more questions than all of us would have to, you know, you know, why hasn't it happened? Why this, why that? But for me, it would have been just fine. I, I enjoyed my time with him. Okay. Anything of that answer catch your ear? I mean, obviously the last part about Colin having to answer more questions and the phrasing of his fake questions, you know, right. why this, why that? I mean, what do you mean? Why? Well, like, I don't know. I, well, I think you, I think you were saying there, Hey, well, you know, why'd you do the protest? Why did you act this way? Why did you say this? That kind of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, like, like how, how deep down the wormhole do you want to go there in terms of why he's phrasing the questions that way? But I think that's the way that's yeah. what catches the ear immediately. I, I also thought at the end of the comment, he said, for me, it would have been just fine. I don't got to worry about it. That's, well, that's past tense, isn't it? It would have been just fine. Did he mean signing him would have been just fine? And we've, and I know the Raiders have moved on. They're not going to do it. Could be. It's a good catch. Well, you know, I actually, the funny thing. Well, I was just going to say in the uh, in the Johnny Depp trial thing, one of the experts that uh, when we had it on the television, she was like, you know, Amber Heard, she talks in present tense, like she's making it up on the spot where Johnny talks in past tense, like it actually happened and he's remembering it. That's some, that's some next level of psychology right there. Sometimes I get it. Sometimes I get it. Or maybe I just completely missed it. And he, uh, for some reason, spoke in past tense and, and didn't mean it. Uh, Paul Gutierrez, our fine reporter from ESPN.com, he's a Raiders insider, followed up with a question about uh, how would Kaepernick get along with the rest of the Raiders in the locker room if they did sign him? For us? Oh, I think great. Yeah, for us, I think he'd be great. I think, um, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to speak for everybody in that kind of sense like I don't want someone mad at me for saying like I think it'd be great um, but I know him and I would get along great um, I know we have in the past and I think we would again and um, I, I, I think for the most part I think he'd get along just fine with our guys okay but he did say he's not speaking for the rest of the team and there is no guarantee that you bring a guy in like Colin Kaepernick uh, who is going to bring questions with him that will be delivered to other players which could make them uncomfortable and maybe they have strong feelings on um, you know, his protest of the past. So there is no guarantee the you know, that he would be immediately accepted in the locker room. Hell, we found out the other day there were five Rays pitchers who apparently are uncomfortable enough around homosexuals um, and others with alternative lifestyles that they wouldn't put on a patch. So you never know, uh, you know, with a group of 30, 40, 50, 60 people, how they're going to react. And, and that, that's okay. That's okay. But Derek Carr himself said, hey, I like the guy. I like dealing with him in the past. I'd be fine with him. I think our locker room would be fine with him. Hmm. I don't know. I think he called him a whack quarterback. Uh, he <laughs> was non-committal and uh, maybe even somewhere in there took shots at him. So, yeah, I don't know that we're going to see Colin Kaepernick. I have no sources on this. I don't know that we're going to see Colin Kaepernick anytime with the Raiders. Um, I do think there is a good chance that someone else is going to kick the tires and bring him in for another workout. Because uh, we are going to have quarterback situations around the National Football League. Uh, and I'll tell you one of them, uh, just to wrap this real quick here, um, Jimmy G is not at the mini camp for the Niners. He's not going to be there. Uh, little Shanny, Kyle Shanahan said he's in Southern California, and really there's no purpose to him being here because he can't throw right now. I had a quick thought today. If you want to have insurance for Trey Lance, if you're the Niners, would you offer, in some sort of deal, Jimmy G straight up for Baker Mayfield? Like, would that help the Browns 
if they're going to need a quarterback for six, eight, ten games before Deshaun Watson's ready? And would you like to have Baker Mayfield around? Get a chance to see him, and he's there just in case Trey Lance isn't good enough to go right now. I mean, is that, I think is that so. a nutty thought? No, it's not nutty. I mean, I, obviously, the first question is like how that works from a cap standpoint. I don't know their cap situations off the top of my head. I mean, from a situational standpoint, it makes sense where both of those teams are at. I think though, like if you're if you're Baker Mayfield, I mean, I don't know if he would have any say in it. You wouldn't really love the situation. Just you're in the same spot, right? You're just in a place where you're not the guy. You're the backup just in case something goes wrong. And actually, he's not even the backup in Cleveland, so I guess it's better for him. And I mean, let's but that's the old reality. He's not starting anyway. I mean, he, like the only team he might right. have a chance in a three-way derby would be in Seattle or Carolina. Good point. Yeah. There seems to be some weird stuff around Carolina with him. Maybe they were just trying to cool all the talk down by you know floating it out there. They're not interested. They don't want to ruin Sam Darnold's confidence, but it's. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's, it's a weird deal right now. And then when you bring in the Brown situation, I I they're. I believe they're going to need someone to play uh, eight or ten games or six games in place of Baker Mayfield. All right, we're going to get back to hoops in just a little bit. Uh, let's turn the corner here, uh, get to what happened in the Western Conference Final, because that one turned out to be a dud, but it's certainly leading us to an Avs Stanley Cup Final where the Avs are going to have massive expectations. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Helm back from the car, lets it go, tipped on, rebound, score! It's Arturi Lekkanen! And you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here because this party is over! Hold on a second. The abs are all on the ice. A goal by Arturi Lekkinen. This is going to be a good goal, and this series is going to be over. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Abs, Mark Moser on the call there. That was a good one. That was a good one. A good series for the abs. A devastating close to the series for the Oilers, dude, and now, now the Abs are set up, John, as a massive look-ahead favorite, no matter what the matchup is. Uh, yeah, they are. Uh, excuse me, nearly a two-dollar favorite over Tampa Bay, uh, which is in action right now, uh, and a over a three-dollar favorite over the New York Rangers. And um, can I just say that was one of those games where, so I had it on and was watching it, not like intently every single second. So like, it was one where we see them come back. I walk out of the room and the Avalanche are down, you know, by a goal. Come back in, I see Wayne Gretzky talking. And I'm like, oh, he's got to be over. Oilers extended out. Good for them. And then I see them start playing again. I'm like, oh, it's 5-5. It's overtime. Wow, okay. (laughs) Walk away again for a brief second. Come back. They're shaking hands on the ice. And I'm like, they lost? (laughs) They lost this thing? That That was an unbelievable collapse from an Oilers team that has had no answers on defense and at goaltender. Uh, throughout this entire series. Did uh, anything else during the broadcast catch your ear? Because I know a lot of people heard and saw this one. That has to be above the shoulder. Puck on the stick, above the shoulder. Holy (laughs) Holy (laughs) shucks, that's going to be. First of all, what is holy shucks? And then he almost almost said it again. He's like, holy shucks. Dude, what are you doing? 
I love it. I'm down with that. Is Don Kowarski, uh, who is on that right there, dropping the holy S on TNT? Um, live TV. Uh, I, I, well, yeah, it's live TV. And look, so I don't watch a lot of hockey. I don't know if like he's like relatively new to like the broadcasting thing or yeah. what, but like you could totally tell he just got wrapped up in the moment and was like he was experiencing that with us. You know what I mean? Like we're all sitting there wondering if that's the case, and he he gave voice to it. I thought it was awesome. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan. I was shot in the face by accident April 5th, 1988. You go through something like that, it's going to do one of two things. It's going to make you fearful or fearless. It made me fearless. I don't feel no pressure. It's basketball. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. That is a tremendous line to drop on anyone who brings up pressure in the future with the Lakers. Dude, I got shot in the face. Okay. The conversation's I, over. I was intimidated by that, just listening to A little bit. My- yeah, Darvin, <laughs> Darvin Ham, former NBA player, longtime NBA assistant, a name that a lot of people weren't familiar with when the Lakers gave him the job. Well, now he's on the griddle. He's got a great opportunity here. If we can turn it around, they can rework the roster. Maybe the Lakers can get back in the title hunt. You know, they've got LeBron, they've got AD, keep those guys healthy. We'll see. We want to get into what the Lakers are doing, also what's happening in the uh, NBA Finals. Cole Huff, former uh, pro basketball player, of course, we also know him as a guy who played at Nevada and Creighton, is up with Cofield and Company here in Vegas. He also does work with uh, Franchise Sports. Cole, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on. How's it going? Uh, real good, real good. Glad you could do it for us. So uh, before we get to the NBA Finals, let's talk about Darvin Ham and what sort of coach the Lakers needed, what sort of coach the Lakers were looking for, and does he fit the bill? Yeah, so whether it's right or wrong, um, he is a former NBA player, and I think that gets a lot of respect from guys like LeBron and AD and the people in that locker room, which they may or may not have had for the former coach, Frank Vogel. Um, so I think right off the bat, they're, they're going to get a guy that they respect. Obviously, that we heard him talk during his, uh, his introductory press conference yesterday, and he's all business. He's saying all the right things. Um, comes from a, a winning culture in Milwaukee, and um, I'm, I'm interested in seeing how similar that these two teams look in, in terms of Milwaukee and L.A., just because they have a lot of uh, similar versatile superstar players, LeBron, Giannis, A.D., that can do it on both sides of the court. Um, so it'll really be about roster building and what kind of players they can put around those guys. Obviously, it worked out in Milwaukee. They surrounded Giannis with a, a bunch of shooters and defenders, and he was able to pick his spots. Um, and that certainly wasn't the case last year in Los Angeles. So um, I'm, I, I think he has the blueprint. He has the DNA uh, working with similar players. It'll just all be about the, the roster that they put together this offseason. You know, I have a question. Like, I, I think from a coaching standpoint, Cole, like he's totally the right guy. I just worry at a job like Los Angeles, is he going to get a fair shake? Because we see this all the time. Like, Vogel, when he got kicked out, we forget how good he was with that defense, how he helped them like maximize that roster and lead them to an NBA Finals. Like, I, like, I feel like this wasn't the most attractive job because guys who get it weren't going to get credit for the success and they were going to get blamed for all the failures. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Like you said, that just comes with the territory of being a coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. They're always in, in one-now mode. They never want to rebuild. Uh, we saw as recently as you know four or five years ago, they, they stacked up on young players, and they're willing to give it all away to, to try to win now. So 
Um, but but such is, is the case with a lot of teams that LeBron coaches or that LeBron plays for. Um, we saw in Miami with with Coach Spolstra. You know, he's he's certainly now getting his respect as one of the the game's best coaches, if not the best coach in the NBA. Um, but it certainly didn't have that feel while LeBron and D Wade and Boss were together in '83. Um, you know, and same same thing for for Frank Vogel. Like you said, we forget that it was just two years ago. Um, you know, he he helped that team win the championship, and the defense was amazing. Um, so yeah, it, it it can all happen very fast in, in Los Angeles. So when we look at this now, and one of the biggest storylines coming out last season was, of course, Russell Westbrook and his fit. Uh, what do you think Darvin Ham has in store for Russell Westbrook? He has said that he's going to contribute. What do you think the future is for Russ when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers? Still part of the team when the season starts in October? Uh, it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. Um, you know, just with how bad and how, how things went last year. But I mean, they do have a new coach now, um, so that maybe that changes a few things. And this contract isn't exactly the easiest to get off of. I, I would imagine that they're still exploring uh, ways to to move him if possible. Um, but if he's back on the team, you know, Coach Ham was saying during his, his press conference that he, you know, Russ still has a lot left in the tank. And, you know, he he's spoken with him a few times, and he thinks that he can get Russ off the ball a little bit more and kind of, I don't know if that's, you know, taking away his, his playmaking responsibilities and, you know, giving them elsewhere to LeBron or to AD, or if that's more of a, you know, get the ball moving, you know, flying around, hold the ball for a second, and just play without the ball. Uh, but, you know, clearly he seems to have a little bit of a plan for him. And, I mean, he, he's there for now. Um, so I guess they're going to they're gonna move forward as if he's going to be part of the rotation next year. Uh, someone, I, I forget exactly who asked the question uh, during the media availability yesterday, but they kind of asked about uh, Russ's role, like if he'll be a starter, if he'll come off the bench. And Ham didn't, didn't really give a, a concrete answer on that. He just talked about, Westbrook's going to be a big part of this team, and you know we're going to move him off the ball, and he's going to get involved on defense and whatnot. So uh, it remains to be seen what exactly you know minutes look like for him and, and what his responsibilities look like. But uh, it seems like they're they're preparing for him to be there. All right, so like, can we? Steve wanted to talk about the Lakers. I want to talk about the basketball that's actually going to happen here, and that, of course, is the NBA Finals, which are uh, <laughs> underway. Um, so let's go there because, uh, like, I'm fascinated by the Celtics team. Obviously, we know about the narratives behind the Warriors and this dynasty that has been for a while now. So, so I'll ask you just like a general question: through the first two games, you know, what's your main takeaway as we have watched these two teams split the first two games? Celtics now have home court going back to Boston. What was the main thing you took away from the first two results of this series? Yeah, um, from my lens, I, I still think that Boston is the better team, but Golden State is clearly the more experienced uh, group of guys. And, you know, in, in, a, in a stage this big, that means a lot. So it kind of leaves the door open for so many different outcomes. Um, but you, you can't take too much away from these first two games. As we see in a lot of finals, it's, it's kind of a filling out process in the beginning. Um, what I will say, though, is that um, if Boston has a chance at, at winning this series, they're going to have to, you know, keep better control of the ball. Uh, it's kind of been a thing for them all postseason long. In their losses, they're they're averaging, like, almost 17 turnovers per game. Last game, they had 18 against Golden State, and it turned into 33 points uh, for the Warriors the other way. And, you know, you just can't do that against a team, this, especially this version of Golden State, where it kind of seems like it's, 
you know, they're they're going to ride with Steph, which I mean, it's always been the case, but there's no KD there. Clay isn't exactly uh, the Clay of old as of yet. Um, you know, Draymond is kind of hit and miss, so you kind of want to make them work for everything. And the Boston's going to turn the ball over; they don't have a shot at winning this series. Um, but yeah, I guess that's a that's a long-winded way of saying I can't really get a feel uh, for what, what what's going to happen in these coming games. So uh, this is the voice of Cole Huff, former Reno Creighton player, also does work franchise sports and the athletic chat and NBA finals with us here on Cofield and Company. And so I kind of wanted I'll ask you because you said something that I agree with, you know, coming into this series, I have Boston as the better team. Um, and when I watch them, like when they lose some of those games, you alluded to the turnovers per game and their losses. Like I, I come away with every Boston loss thinking that they were the reason that they lost. Like execution is a little sloppy at times. I think they drive you nuts like defensively. I'll ask you. When you watch and when you're getting made fun of Mark by Mark Jackson on the broadcast, when Daniel Tice is in his defensive stance, like five feet off of a pick and roll, and he's letting Steph Curry like just walk into a mid range or excuse me, a three point jumper, like those are kind of some problems that have plagued Boston. Do you think that's a symptom of just being a young team? Because when they're executing defensively, we saw that fourth quarter, they limited them scoreless for five minutes in the fourth quarter of game one. To me, I just come away thinking every time with Boston, it's them rather than the, than the opponent. Am I selling the Golden State Warriors short? No, I think you're right, and specifically with Boston, I think that they're a team that, you know, they've shown this postseason that it kind of takes them getting hit in the mouth for them to kind of wake up, and they, they kind of play their best basketball um, when their backs are against the wall, in a sense. You know, you go back to, I mean, obviously, probably not the Brooklyn series. They swept that, even though all the games were pretty close. Um, but you go to Milwaukee, they're, they're, they lose game five at home, they go down 3-2, and then they, they come up with two wins with their backs against the wall. You know, they they're up. 3-2 in the conference finals against Miami. They give up a home game. Um, they, have, they have to go to Miami and close it out, and they do. so. And then in, even in, in, in game one, you know, they take a big hit in that third quarter. Um, and then, you know, back from, back's against the wall, fourth quarter, they wake up and make nine threes. They beat the Warriors 40-16 in the fourth quarter. So it, they're, they're just kind of a, a strange team like that. Um, you know, credit to them for not ever, you know, really giving in and, and playing all the way through. Um but I wonder, you know, how many more times they can afford to do that against a an experienced team that has someone like Steph Curry, has the veteran leadership and the in the will of a of a Draymond Green and has Steve Kerr on the sideline. You hear that, Steve? The will of Draymond Green. I get it. He's an important player, but you uh, yeah. you 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 glamorize him and idolize him just a little bit too much. I don't. I don't like Cole. Cole. He. Steve is very. He's been very anti Draymond Green. Now I've. I have brought him along a little it. bit. Uh, he. He is. At one point, he thought he was like the seventh most important player on the Golden State Warriors roster. <laughs> I've at least convinced him to the point where he. He's an important cog uh, for Golden State. And I have said this. So I'll get your thoughts on it. I told Steve earlier in the show that I think that this could go down if the Warriors win this series. Even if Steph Curry wins Finals MVP, that this could be the Draymond Green series. Like what he's done defensively, his turnaround in Game Two, his you know his talking after games about Grant Williams, telling him we'll be fine after Game One. I think this is setting up for a very big star turn for Draymond Green if they win this series. Yeah, he, he knows what he's doing, and and I get where where Steve is coming from. You know, I've I've bounced back and forth through the years of feeling the same way, where it's like. Man, he's just out there not really doing anything productive. He can't score, can't shoot. He's just out there talking. He's playing dirty. But, you know, those guys are important. And, you know, clearly they don't win that game, um, game two, without him. Uh, you know, his defense obviously was, was ten times better than what it was in, in game one. He'd be the first one 
uh, to own up to how, to how bad it was in that first game. But just just the little things like the mind games, getting under uh, the younger team's skin and driving Jalen Brown up, up the wall and Grant Williams getting under his skin. You know, that those things can, can, can build, especially when you're playing at home. Um, for the, for in the Warriors' case, when you're playing at home, gets the crowd going, you know, gets the crowd riled up, and all of a sudden, Jordan Poole hits a half-court shot, Steph Curry hits a, a three, Clay hits a three, and, you know, the, the life uh, from the other team is just kind of being sucked out slowly. So, Draymond knows what he's doing. Um, I, I, I get I, I get it. Trust me, I get it. I played with players like that. I played against players like that. Yeah. Uh, it, it can be frustrating, but, you know, he's, he's super important to that team. There's no denying that. Yeah, and it's annoying to fans. Like you said, if you're on the opposition, you know how annoying he is. If you play with a guy like that, you're like, my God, this guy's so important to us. Uh, Cole Huff is with us, at Cole Hoops up on Twitter. You're doing a lot of WNBA coverage, and you started doing that a couple of years ago, and I just wanted to get your take on the brand of basketball that Becky Hammond is playing and how the Aces have taken to it because it's a you know it's a much different style than what Lambeer was preaching. Yeah, it's, it's refreshing. Um, and honestly, I, I think... I think Coach Beer kind of got a lot of a flag for, you know, his style of play, which is very dated. Um, but, I mean, it was successful. They were, you know, a defensive stop and whatever, maybe a made basket away from going to the finals last year. Like, things kind of just didn't break in their favor. You know, they had uh, seven players, I believe, averaged double figures last year, which is some kind of NBA, WNBA record. So, they're, they're, you know, he was doing good things, and, He's had great coaches um, under him that have gone on to coach elsewhere and get head coaching jobs in WNBA. So I just wanted to give him his flowers real quick. Um, but at yeah. the same time, yeah, it's definitely refreshing uh, the brand of basketball that that Coach Hammond has brought. You know, they're playing a lot, a lot faster. They have a lot more freedom on offense to, you know, do what they're comfortable doing. And she's she said a, a, a bunch of different times pre and post game that she doesn't put handcuffs on her players. She's not going to get mad at them for stepping into shots that they feel like they can make. Um, her biggest thing really is just defense. And I think, you know, that all starts with, with Asia Wilson, which she has alluded to. Um, she's just been phenomenal, you know, playing playing the five solely for the first time. I know there's sometimes that, you know, maybe Akia Stokes or Teresa Playsons may sub in and, and Asia will move to the floor for a few minutes. But she's basically the five. Which is which is new to her. She hadn't been that her her whole career, and you know she's she's really embracing it. She's accepting the challenge on defense. She's getting a ton of block shots. Uh, she's getting them out in transition with her rotations and steals and whatnot. So um, very exciting. And then you throw in the the development of, of Jackie Young under Becky Hammond, uh, Kelsey Plum into the starting lineup after winning six women of the year last last season. It's just a it's a, it's a good time in, in Vegas right now. And, you know, the only thing that gives me some concern is their depth. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't go real deep. Plum played 40 minutes the other day, kind of because she had to. You know, they're, they're kind of like an injury away from it, it, it getting kind of ugly. So that would, that would be my one thing. Maybe, you know, by the time the, the, the deadline rolls around, that they, you know, make some, some sort of end of the rotation trade or, or grab a free agent or someone just with a little bit of, of veteran experience that you can throw out there for. 10 minutes a night just so that their their main six players aren't playing 35 plus minutes a night and are worn out by the end of the season. Cole Huff is with us. Cole played his college basketball at Nevada at Creighton, and we're college basketball junkies on the show. I got about a minute left here. Just 
in general, what has happened to your two former programs? Because uh, they're going in different directions, and we're looking at a, a Wolfpack <clears throat> program that might not be you know top six in the Mountain West Conference. We might have a Creighton squad that's top ten in the country. Yeah, I was I was really surprised that Nevada didn't perform up to expectations last year. Just you know, with the guys they had coming back, the success that they had the year before, very surprising. Um, clearly, I don't know what what went on in the locker room or what what exactly went into that, but certainly down the year, and they're they're trying to figure things out. And I hope they do. Um, and in terms of Creighton, yeah, last year was a weird year for them as well. Like you know, the Creighton that I know and most people probably know is. The team that just lets it fly shoots a ton of threes. Doug McDermott, Ethan Roggy, just you know the Kyle Corver days, just getting up and down and shooting a ton of threes. And last year they were like one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the nation. They didn't have any three-point shooters. Um, but yeah, they return a a lot of uh, last year's freshmen. They they have a transfer coming in that's really good, one of the better transfers um, in the nation. And it's looking like they're going to be a a, a top ten team to begin the season. Uh, and that's really cool. Um, you know, hopefully they can build off. Uh, I think what was a Sweet 16 appearance two years ago, and then last year they 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 lost to the eventual champions in Kansas. So there's a there's a lot of good things going on in, in Omaha right now. I'm excited for them. Cole, we appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find your work. Yeah, um, first of all, you can follow me on Twitter at Cole Hoops. Um, you can follow my my WNBA work covering the Las Vegas Aces at Franchise Sports Media. Um, and then I have a weekly column that I do for the athletic and a lot of betting content, uh, WNBA, NBA, you name it over at bet for the win, which is a branch of USA today sports. So, um, if that was too much for you, just follow me on Twitter. I, I retweet and post <laughs> things all the time. There you go. Cole. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Thanks. There he is. Cole Huff, former college basketball player, former pro basketball player. Grab bag is on the way. We'll get you an update in the WNBA where the Sparks, after just 12 games, have decided to go in a different direction from Derek Fisher as the coach. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Company presents Grab Bag, only on ESPN Las Vegas. JVT and Cofield closing things out here on a Tuesday and a one. Gerard Gallant and the Rangers are down one nothing. They lead the series two one, but they're down one nothing right now going to the second nice. against the Lightning. Stick your hand in there, Dave. You know, earlier we were talking about that story that got a lot of headlines on social media and a bunch of radio shows where uh, there was a Disney wedding where the couple decided to invite a bunch of people to their wedding, but then spent all of the catering money on getting an appearance by Mickey and Minnie for like $6,000. And and then they posted on Reddit, like, are we the jerks? Because a lot of people we invited to the wedding are pissed off that they didn't get food and drink. And uh, there ain't a lot of people siding with the couple. And you asked a question, are Disney adults the most terrifying creatures on the planet? Um, I don't I don't know, but I do know there's a lot of people who love Disney. And I sent you a story from a couple of days ago of a proposal attempt at Disneyland Paris. And let me tell you, People are pissed off at this Disney employee. Tell people what happened. So uh, this couple is clearly up on, on some sort of platform. I don't know where it is, but it's, it's a nice platform, and there's clearly a nice backdrop. I think it's like it looks like Cinderella's Castle or whatever correct, in the background. So, correct, correct. It's a moment of a lifetime. Right. So like, if you're taking pictures, beautiful scene. Great. So the guy dressed in all white gets down on one knee, pops out the rock, looks like he's going to get the yes that he wants. And this employee in a tie-dye shirt, and 
folks, if you're listening to my voice, I cannot explain this. Sprints as fast as he can to intercept, not, not just like stop them. He runs between them like a running back getting a handoff, snatches the ring and the case from the man, and then runs away from them down the steps to direct them saying, come on, and reportedly tells them it'll be just as nice down here. Right. Apparently, they didn't have permission to be up there, to which um, I-, I thought the couple was very nice. They were kind of stunned. Um, right. One, you could bring in security and be like, this guy just stole my ring. Like, I didn't get permission to grab my ring. Um, let me tell you, when this made the rounds on social media, oh, that employee got skewered. And Disney felt so much pressure that they apologized and then said, well, we made it right for the couple. Do you fire the guy? What do you What do you mean? You, well, here's the thing. My guess is... That he was probably a little over exuberant, but my guess is that he's been told before, don't let people do it. And then, of course, he's the one who's thrown under the bus when he did what he was supposed to do. But yeah, Disneyland Paris was like, we did not intend for that to happen. And we're going to make it right. I mean, how do you make it right? The guy just had his proposal. The couple just had their proposal ruined. And everyone knows Steve Cofield loves weddings. Come on.